the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America is the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Uh, quick, uh, quick note here. My, uh, my book, I wrote a book. It's called How to Change Someone's Mind. It's available on Amazon right now. We've got the ebook there, so you can read it right now. And it's also uh, on paperback. Check it out. Uh, how to Change Someone's Mind. So I want to be very clear about what it's not because I don't want you to be very disappointed uh, thinking it's something else. It is not about how to win an argument. It is actually very easy to win an argument. You just talk louder and sound more confident than the other guy. Throw out some numbers, call him a name, you're good to go. And everyone will think you won. But you didn't change that person's mind. So I, I, I don't really know what good that is. It's fine. I wrote this really because you know how much I hate cable news. And I find it so, so meaningless but it's very influential. And I think over the last decade or so, we've come to think that we should talk to each other the same way that TV pundits yell at each other. And we watch TV and we see two pundits yell and we say, oh, that guy won. <laughs> like, okay. And I guess having done that for a while, having been on TV doing the pundit thing, and just it's so, I feel so empty afterwards. It's like, oh, no one listened. No one, no one changed their mind ever. I've been on TV, I don't know, 50 times. No one ever changed their mind. And uh, I was like, there's got to be a better way. So that's what I sat down to figure out. And that's what I came up with. So it's called How to Change Someone's Mind. So think of that person in your life who, who is a flaming progressive or whatever. And you've just never been able to actually change their mind. Oh, you've had plenty of arguments. Maybe you've won most of them. Maybe you've lost a few. But their mind's never been changed. Uh, this will help you do that. I promise you it will help. Uh, you can search for Mike Slater on, in, in Amazon store, how to change someone's mind. It's there, um, today, today's the first day. It's fully, completely available on Amazon on, um, uh, ebook and paperback. So let us go here. One of my new favorite books. I know we talked a ton about it last week, so bear with me here, but I'm done reading it now. So I, I won't be, uh, <laughs> quoting it every two minutes now. Uh, it's called Black Rednecks and White Liberals by the great Thomas Sowell. It's awesome. Thomas Sowell's amazing. I don't know why I would expect anything less than awesome. One of the chapters, one of the sections, debunks everything that you, you and your kids certainly have been taught about slavery, particularly about founding fathers and slavery. Now, why is this important? Progressives will often bring up the fact that, or they'll say that our founding fathers were just a bunch of slave owners. They were just white slave owners. Why do they say this? They say it to undermine everything that the founding fathers did. Everything they accomplished, including the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. If our founding fathers were evil, racist slave owners, then this country is evil and racist and all of our institutions 
are evil and racist, which means that racism is, in fact, everywhere. I mean, look, it's even embedded in the founding of our country. It's the core of who we are. That's why they say such nonsense. Now, before I get to Thomas Sowell's insights, I just want to share one thing that we've talked about before when it comes to Thomas Jefferson. And they'll say Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. Yes, but there's some important context here. He inherited his slaves from his father and his father-in-law. And you think, well, Slater, what's different? I don't know. I think when people say Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, I think they imagine him going to the docks and picking out the slaves and beating them on his way, beating these slaves on his way back to his plantation. And that's not how that was. He inherited his slaves. And you're thinking, well, Slater, why didn't he just let them free? It was illegal. At that time, it was illegal to free slaves without permission from the governor. In 1769, Thomas Jefferson drafted a law that would allow what's called manumission. And that is letting your own slaves free. You couldn't do that. So he drafted a law that said you could. It was finally ratified in 1782. Think about that though. Did you know it was illegal to free your own slaves? So Thomas Jefferson didn't buy slaves and keep them. He inherited slaves and was trying to get rid of them. And did everything he could do. When Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, in the list of grievances, he denounced the king for the cruel war against human nature itself by bringing slaves to the colonies. He put that in there. Now it was taken out because South Carolina and Georgia said they'd walk right out of that convention if it stayed. And then the entire revolution would have been over right there from the jump. So they took it out. 1778, Jefferson drafted an amendment to the Constitution that said all children born of slaves after 1800 would be free and taxpayers should pay for their education. It never passed. There weren't votes for it. But Thomas Jefferson proposed it anyway. So when public opinion changed, as he knew it would eventually there would be the bill. They could just pick it up, sign it, and pass it. So that's Thomas Jefferson. Black, red, next white liberals talks about George Washington too. And Thomas Sowell says that it's amazing how we unfairly judge our founding fathers. He quotes a biography that's pro-Washington. And the biographer said that Washington, quote, helped create a new world, but had allowed into it an infection being slavery. Washington did not allow slavery into the new world. It existed. Slavery existed on American soil before George Washington was born. So what do you, what do you mean he allowed it in here? And he couldn't just by decree end it. That doesn't mean, so isn't that amazing how we unfair, oh, George Washington, <laughs> yeah, sure, father of our country, but he allowed slavery in. No, he didn't. It was already here and he did everything he could to stop it. Maybe what he did more than anyone else was to help create a free republic which led to the very first moral arguments against slavery and then ultimately its demise. I'll quote Sowell here. He said, it was not because people thought slavery was right that it persisted for thousands of years. It persisted largely because people did not think about rightness or wrongness of it at all. 
No one even thought about it for thousands of years. No one even considered whether it was right or wrong. It was just the way it was. And everyone did it everywhere all around the world. It was the rise of modern free societies and their accompanying ideologies in the West, which made slavery stand out in stark contrast. And it was America that brought slavery into question in the first place. And once that happened, slavery could not stand up under moral scrutiny. So we have people on the left who criticize Washington and Jefferson and all of our founding fathers for having slaves. But those two people among, and all of our founding fathers get no credit for founding a society where slavery was questioned for the first time ever. They also get no credit for helping create a nation where at least half of it was free. Jefferson gets no credit for, for the draft of the state constitution of Virginia, which banned the importation of slaves. He gets no credit for in 1783, trying to emancipate the slaves in Virginia. Both of those things were defeated, but he's still the worst person in the world. He gets no credit for as president trying to stop the spread of slavery to the West. Check this out. All right. If you remember nothing else from this segment here, remember this right here. Thomas Jefferson, when he was president proposed a bill that would have declared it illegal to have slaves in the Western territories. Now at this time, Western territories would have included what's today, Alabama and Mississippi. So he proposed a bill that said it would have been illegal to have slaves in, in the West, Alabama, Mississippi included that bill lost by one vote. And it was one vote, one legislator who was too sick to come and vote. Jefferson said the fate of millions of unborn was hanging on the tongue of one man and heaven fell silent in that awful moment. One legislator was too sick to vote. And that right there would have passed a bill that would have banned slavery in Alabama and Mississippi before they were states. Think about that. It was the founding fathers who did everything they could to stop slavery from starting in the North and then to stop it from spreading in the West as much as they could. And if they did not do that, then no black population would have ever grown in Delaware or Maryland. And if they didn't do that, then there would be no example in the North that we did not need slavery to be a successful economy. And if they didn't do that, then everything would have been different. And the founders get no credit for laying the foundations of which ultimately ended slavery in a time when around the world, no one was questioning it at all. I got one more thing I want to say. We'll do it next. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. listening to Mike Slater. I want to share something here that when I when I read this in Thomas Sowell's book, Black Red Next White Liberals, please buy it. It's fantastic. It totally it was completely perspective shattering. Everything I've ever heard. It was incredible. I want to share in a second, but real quick, when I say slavery, what's the first thing you think of? Go. Boom. Slavery. First thing you think of. Very first thing. Go. You think South. South Southerners enslaving Africans. 
Thomas Sowell's one of his points is that there's nothing, there's nothing else so historic, right, that is solely viewed in such localized terms. When I say war, let's say let's say there's a hundred people in a room, and I say war, no one thinks of one war. Right? You may think of Vietnam, you may think of World War II, you may think of wars between different countries. You may th- like there's like a ton. Of- when I say famine, no one think no we don't all think of one famine. There's lots of different famines that have existed. But and the reason we do this is because war is not war's been everywhere forever. Famine's been everywhere forever. Slavery's been everywhere forever, but slavery is the one thing that we think of as s- Southerners against Africans, which is, it makes no sense because I mean, if for no other reason, as we shared before, from 1500 to 1800, more European white people were taken as slaves by North African Muslims than Americans enslaved Africans. Not just more white people, two and a half times as many Europeans were enslaved by North African Muslims. So when I say slavery, why don't you think of white people being enslaved by Muslims? Why don't you think of British people enslaving Irish people in Jamaica? Think about that. There was a time in Jamaica when the black people there were not slaves, but the Irish people were, and the slave drivers were the British. <laughs> like what? Let me give you an example of how how far off progressives are when they criticize particularly America for this unique institution, which is nothing unique about this. Kids today, I promise you kids today think that America invented slavery. That's, that's the level of ignorance here, but let me pick on one point in particular. Progressives will say that slavery was ingrained in our constitution with the three fifths compromise in the constitution, which said that slaves, excuse me, black people are only, three-fifths of a person and they'll point to this and they'll say that this proves that founders were racist and considered black people less than right because if you're you are a white person you're you count as one but if you're black you're only three-fifths of one so notice real quick before i tell you the truth of this notice how you feel when i say that the founders decided to count black people as three-fifths of a person Well, gosh, I think that progressive has a point. I mean, they, they clearly, our founders clearly were racist. What if I told you the opposite was true? At first glance, it's easy to characterize our founding generation as racist. I mean, look, they took a black person and count them as less than a person but nope, it's the exact opposite. Why did the Northerners once want black people to be counted as three-fifths of a person? Well, let me, let me share one point here first. It wasn't black people. It was slaves. They wanted slaves counted as three-fifths of a person. Black people could vote. Free blacks could vote. One vote. In every way, they were a whole full person. It was just regarding slaves but what, what does this mean? Three-fifths of a person. Three-fifths of a person in terms of what? This part of the Constitution was about counting people for congressional representation. 
if slaves were counted as a full person, then the Southern states would have gotten more representation in Congress. If slaves were counted as a whole person, when it comes to counting the number of people in a state, right? That's what they did. They go around, they count the number of people in a state. And then they say, Oh, Georgia has this many people. Therefore they get this many congressmen. New York has this many people. They get this many congressmen. If they counted slaves as a whole person, then the Southern states would have gotten more votes in Congress. And then it would have been harder to pass anti-slavery laws because there would have been more Southern congressmen, right? The Northern states wanted slaves to be counted as three fifths of a person in order to decrease the political influence of the slave owning states. Imagine if instead of that, which is, I guess, what race baiters today would have preferred. Imagine if the Northerners said, okay, slaves count as one person. They can't vote, of course, but they count as one person. Then Georgia, Alabama, Virginia, South Carolina, all these Northern states would have had more congressional representation and it would have been harder to pass anti-slavery legislation, which the Congress ultimately did, but they could only do it because there were more Northern congressmen than there were Southern congressmen. So the Northerners counted slaves as three-fifths of a person so that they could end slavery sooner. Isn't that amazing? So do you see how ignorant people are today? Modern progressives today want you to think that Northerners did this because, oh, they thought slaves were less than and black people were less than. Notice again how they switch, switch out the word slaves with black people. Even though, again, blacks were free blacks were one person, counted as one person and had one vote all the same. But they want you to make it seem, they, they, they make it seem as if Northerners didn't view black people as the same or slaves. No, 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 no. They did that because they wanted to end slavery sooner. Isn't that amazing? Amazing how poorly our kids are taught. I just think back to when I learned about the three-fifths compromise and how slaves were counted as three-fifths of a person or black people were counted as three-fifths of a person. And, and I just think, oh my gosh, that was pitched as proof that we were a racist country. No context whatsoever given to the motive behind that, which was to end slavery sooner. Unbelievable. And what a, what a perfect example, a simple example of how one thing can be twisted to mean something that's the exact opposite. Just stunning. The book is Black Rednecks and White Liberals. Please buy it. It's fantastic. By Thomas Sowell. Coming up next, I want to talk about a conversation I had with someone the other day who just got back from Iraq. And got back from small towns in Iraq that have been completely taken over by ISIS. Now ISIS has been driven out, but the population of this town is zero. So everyone has either been killed or driven out. I'll tell you some amazing stories that this gentleman had, including graffiti inside a church that was not written in Arabic. I'll tell you about that next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.
Slater! Slater Cassettes. Nice to be in. So, Rebel Media, Canadian website, went to Iraq, did some real amazing reporting there. They were the first Western journalists to go to one town in particular in Iraq that has recently been liberated from ISIS. So ISIS took it over, and uh, now they're gone. But 80% of the buildings are complete rubble. All the churches have been completely destroyed. Everything inside the church is destroyed, of course. All the crosses that were made of wood, those have all been snapped in half. Anything made of stone, statues, etc., shot at and destroyed. One thing that is especially disturbing is inside one church in particular, and they report on this. You can go to savethechristians.com, and they have a bunch of videos up there from the scene. Uh, But inside this church is written a bunch of graffiti. I hate graffiti against Christians. Oh, by the way, on all the buildings, uh, all the homes where there were Christians inside of them, they had marked the Arabic letter N, which uh, stands for Nazarene, which is what they call Christians. Jesus from Nazareth. Um, so all the, all the, and there's no, no different than the Nazis marking homes of Jewish people with the star David or the letter J for Jude. Same, same thing. It's another genocide happening right now. Um, but inside this, this church was graffiti against Christians in Arabic, but one wall had graffiti written in German. Perfect German. Get your blank cross out of here. This is Muslim land. No place for Christians here. You must die, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Perfect German, which means there are Germans, Europeans going to the Middle East to fight for ISIS and kill Christians. Now, we already knew this, but here's, I don't want to say another reminder. Here's a, here's a, you see it. Like we've heard before, uh, you know, British intelligence saying there's tens of thousands of people in Europe who have traveled to the Middle East and back to fight for ISIS. But that's very, that's very vague, right? It's just here you see a German person. You see the consequence of a German person going into a church, uh, I'm sure uh, killing people along the way. And, and then when they're done clearing it and destroying all Christian symbols, uh, writing graffiti on the wall in German. Amazing. There's a Christian genocide going on right now in the Middle East. If you listen to the blaze, you know that. And you're one of the few people who do because it's receiving almost no attention. And anytime there's any reference to ISIS, there's a lot of excusing of what they're doing. And they're excusing because, oh, that's just because of our foreign policy. Mm, I promise you, listen, I'm, I believe in blowback. I get it. I understand that. I'm sympathetic to that. Um, and I'm, I'm with it most of the time. But I guarantee you that these terrorists who are shooting at crosses in churches in Iraq are not doing that because of American foreign policy. This is much more than Western imperialism. The truth is this is Muslim imperialism. And I know I mentioned this in passing earlier, but let me go a little deeper into this. Islam was only invented in 630. The year 630, there were dozens of religions in this region prior to 630. Religions, a lot of them we've never heard of. Of course, they had Judaism and Christianity, but there was a ton of religions in this area called Iranian religions. Um, Dozens of different religions that had many different gods and all the rest. Many of them don't exist anymore, but think about that for a second. We We have this impression. I've always had this impression that of course, this is the region of the world where Muslims live. It's always been Muslim. This is where the Muslim lives. The Muslims live. This is Islam. It's there, right? No. 
Actually, for most of world history, that wasn't even a thing. It didn't even exist. Now, right before the rise of Islam, you had the Byzantines. They were Romans, Christians. They allied with a local tribe in the Middle East known as the Ghassanids, G-H-A-S-S-A-N-I-D-S. They were Christians as well. So this is a Christian group in the Middle East that allied with the Byzantines. The Byzantines believed that Jesus and God were the same entity. They were one entity. The Ghassanids believed that Jesus and God were one nature. And you think, oh, geez, what, what, that, that, what's, what's the, we'll save that conversation for another day, but it was enough to cause a split between these two groups. The alliance broke and that created a power vacuum that the Muslims took advantage of. That used to be a Christian area. Then Muhammad conquered a small area. The first caliphate doubled it. And then the second caliphate doubled it again across Northern Africa and as far East as India and, and into Europe. But my point is, and I know that's very, that was a very short history, but Christianity has been there longer than Islam, <laughs> right? Christianity was there for a long time. Christians were there before Muslims. They at least have as much right to that land as Muslims do. But the real point is that Christians are willing to live alongside and to live together with Muslims. It's the Muslims who are not willing. They are the conquerors. Isn't that amazing? There's a story that I, I don't have time to share today, um, but it's from a woman who has spent decades of her life helping refugees around the world. And I want to be very clear about this. This is, this is not from some crazy, conservative, hateful person, right? This is a, a person who's compassionate to refugees, who, who has served refugees for decades all around the world. And she says what's going on in Europe today, particularly among Afghan refugees, is unlike anything she or anyone that she works with has ever seen. And sh- her conclusion, her conclusion is not just that these are cultural differences. And did I make her, did I build up her enough? Okay, she's not uh, uh, Michael Savage saying this. She's a progressive. She's not a Trump fan. She says that what's happening here is these Afghans in particular are, in her words, a new conquering army. And they're, they're conquering and they're invading in a place that they've never been before. Again, as we mentioned in the last hour, why is the number one name in England, Mohammed? The number one name in Amsterdam, in Belgium, in Sweden. What? But my main point in this segment, I'll take a break here, is is why do we assume that the Middle East has always been Muslim or should be Muslim? They're killing Christians over there and they're trying to erase Christian history in that region. That's the point of tearing down statues and tearing down the churches and all the rest. They're trying to tear down history so that no one can ever claim that Christians had a right to that land or have a right to that land or should be there allowed in peace among everyone else. They're eliminating every reference to Christianity in that region so that they can say that they're the ones who have always been there and should be there and all the rest. They're the one committing genocide, yet somehow the Christians are being accused of being the imperialists and the colonialists and the bad guys and Western civilization is to blame and somehow Muslims get a pass. one 888 Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to... Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. 
It's amazing. I just Googled three-fifths compromise and all these. <laughs> all right, so here's the root.com. So all these Black Lives Matter groups and whatever dominate the Google results. And here's an article, three-fifths clause, why its taint persists, right? And it's like, wow, you've totally, totally, completely missed the point of that. The three-fifths, I don't need to go through it again, right? But the three-fifths compromise was not to degrade slaves. It was to hasten the end of slavery. It was to give Southern congressmen less representation in Congress so that the Northern congressmen could end slavery sooner. So there's no, that's not, because <laughs> it's amazing. How, like, how can history be so perverted like that? Well, actually, I'll give you another example. Um, do we have clip 1000? This is a clip of a congressman from uh, New York City. Here it is. This country should never build a wall. <laughs> this website's annoying. Do you want to try? <laughs> Sorry, the clip's buffering as we play it. To keep uh, this is an annoying out. website. Should there it deal go. with an immigration issue? Yes, but never, ever. ever build a wall on the contrary build another yeah i think we're <laughs> i think that's it for the clip why don't i just tell you what he said um he said that we should not only should we not build a wall at the southern border but we should put a, a, a new statue of liberty at our mexican border that's the message we should send to the world so there's two points I want to uh, to break down here. You, I don't know if we you could catch it out of there, but he said, um, he said, uh, should it deal with the immigration issue? Meaning America, should America, should it deal with the immigration issue? And he goes, should it deal with the immigration issue? Yes, yes, it should. Which is so it's such a bizarre way to say something because. Should it deal like it? Should it deal with it? Should it deal with the immigration issue? You're a congressman. That's you. <laughs> You're the it in that sentence. Should it deal with the immigration? Yes, you should, but you don't really want to, as proven by the rest of your sentence where you say we should put up a Statue of Liberty on the border. This is a perfect example, and I don't think we're gonna get to any of this analysis today, but I'm reading this book. Uh, called Life Life at the Bottom by Theodore Dalrymple. It's fantastic. Um, and he is a prison, he's a psychologist in the, the poorest prisons and hospitals in England. And he says one common characteristic of the underclass is this passive voice. The knife went in. The gun went off. Just my luck to be in prison for the 13th time. Right, but but you see, like it's not. I didn't do it. The knife went in, and it's sort of very similarly passive here. Should it deal with the immigration issue? Yes, it should. You're a congressman. That's your job. But anyway, bigger point. Should we put the statue or build a new statue of liberty at the border? Now he's not serious here. 
but even the symbolism is way off. I think one of the greatest switcheroos in, in American history, we've talked before about one of the greatest um, white out, whiting out of history is removing Reverend from Martin Luther King Jr. And removing every Christian, everything he's ever done, removing sermon, right? Notice no one ever says anymore that, oh, here's a quote from MLK's sermon. No, it's always a speech. Every reference to Jesus is taken out and every Christian reference is taken out with anything regarding MLK Jr. He's become a great secular civil rights hero when in reality, it was a Christian crusade. So that may be number one, but here's another great switcheroo. And that is turning the Statue of Liberty into the Statue of Immigration. Right? We have a Statue of Liberty. It's, it's originally called uh, Liberty Enlightening the World. And now it's the Statue of Immigration. And it did that because we slapped, in the words of Mark Stein, we slapped a third-rate poem at the base of the statue and completely changed its original meaning. It has nothing to do with immigration. She's carrying a torch. Why is she carrying a torch? Not to attract people here, but to share her light of liberty with the whole world. So really, if we put a Statue of Liberty at the border with Mexico, the message that it would be sending, it should be sending if it was the same message that the original statue was intended, the message would be, get your act together, Mexico. (laughs) Get your act together, South America. Get your act together, Latin America. Stop being such a corrupt place that so many people want to leave. That's why the Statue of Liberty is wearing a crown with seven points, one for every continent. May liberty spread to every continent around the world. That's what that is. It's not, hey, here's the light so you could find it here. It's here's the light of liberty. Go spread it in wherever you are. Totally opposite meanings. Now, listen, hold on. I'll be fair. I'll be fair. If you want to build a Statue of Liberty at the border, we'll have a conversation about it. And maybe I'll go with it, but you also have to build an Ellis Island. What do you mean? You got to build an Ellis Island or something like it. Something that did what Ellis Island did. Keep track of every person coming in the country. A little talked about aspect of Ellis Island were the examination rooms. If you go to Ellis Island, you'll see the the grand hall and off on the side are all these different examination rooms full of doctors if they saw you get off a boat and have to catch your breath or stop short then they would pull you aside and check you for heart problems everyone who got off the boat they would line them up and they would check for goiters and fungal infections under the nails fingernails they would check for ringworm they'd give you a short psych exam they would check for what they called psychopathic tendencies I don't even know how they did that, but if they thought you were mentally unwell, you did not pass. The big inspection was the eye exam, trachoma. It's an eye infection. And this was before antibiotics. Today, it's easy to cure, but back then you'd go blind and it was very contagious. If you did not pass any of those examinations, back on the boat. Now, who paid for your trip back home? The steamship company. The steamship company had to pay for you to go back, which means they had an incentive to not even let certain people on the boat in the first place because they knew that if a sick person got to America, that Ellis Island, they would have put him back on the boat and they would have had to pay to ship this person back. 
So there were two levels of, of vetting, if you will, before you got on the boat and then once you got to Ellis Island. So, Congressman, if you want to do that, if you want to have that Statue of Liberty, you got to have extreme vetting at the border as well. Mike Slater Show, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.